This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. I'm James Manning, the editor of Media Week. Joining me, as he does for all these podcasts, Andrew Mercado, contributing um, columnist for Media Week, TV historian. Welcome back, Andrew. Hi, James. Um, Some great shows to talk about today. We're going to talk about fires. Uh, We've got a separate podcast, which we'll also mention. Uh, It was a new season of Frayed. A um, bit of a Saran Jones festival in the middle of the podcast. I'm going to be talking about billions. Andrew's got some great stuff to talk about. Um, a little bit of retro TV and some sort of also some more. I, I always think of he's going to talk about days of our lives. To me, that always brings up retro um, things, but it's still running, which is which is pretty amazing. So he's got some interesting stuff to say about that. And one another series that brace that um, crosses both the past and the current. Um, the Rafter family. We'll talk a little bit about Back to the Rafters and how that's morphed into Back to the Rafters. But Andrew, I thought we'd done we'd start with fires. Yeah. Now, before we um, hear from you about it, we've done a separate podcast with the co-creator Tony Ayres, um, and he gives us some great detail about the series. So we we'd recommend you check out that. But um, what are your thoughts about it? Well, we li- you should listen to the Tony Ayres podcast just to hear him tell the story of how they uh, did the special effects of creating yeah. fire. It was so interesting and it's so amazing to think that we've got a facility in Australia that can do special effects like that. I was super impressed by it. But, you know, as a standalone drama, wow, I think it's going to blow people's minds. Um, it-, it may not be what people are expecting, you know, when you say to someone, hey, uh, the ABC's made a drama about the bushfires of 2019 and 20, some people immediately say, well, I don't want to watch that. That's too soon. Um, but I think it's really easy to forget that we had those bushfires and then we were plunged straight into the coronavirus crisis. And I don't think we've done enough soul searching at all about those horrific bushfires. And I think it is uh, good timing uh, for a drama to be made. Although having said that, you know, they are very, very conscious of the fact that they don't want to traumatise or trigger anybody who lived through the fires. There'll be lots of warnings before the shows uh, about that. And uh, I know I was talking about it on uh, statewide ABC radio the other day and, and they rang me up in advance and said, look, we won't be playing any audio from the show. It's just too much for our listeners. We'll, we'll be doing all sorts of warnings, even in the lead up to the segment. So that's how real an issue it is out there. But I think that for the people who didn't go through that horrific time, and particularly the people in the cities that that need to watch this show and, and be reminded that nothing has really changed since those bushfires. I don't see that we bought a whole lot of water bombers or anything like that, or we're even any better prepared for another bushfire season like that. Uh, so this is going to be a very, very important Australian drama. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, isn't it? There's sort of no, there's no real feeling I, I, amongst myself anyway, that that there's sort of we've learnt a lot that's been um, we've reacted to since those bushfires. I'm sure there must be stuff, surely. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess COVID has been a pretty big distraction since then and it's, you know, maybe put back some of the, you know, delayed some of the planning for things they were going to do. During that podcast, we also talked to him about the amazing cast 
he assembled for the series, didn't we? And he said, yeah, look, some of these people were, were you know, all uh, uh, several, but a lot of these people were, are international names now. The the actors, they were in Australia because of COVID and therefore available to the production. And he said he felt like they wanted to, to do something that really meant something to them. Well, I know that we've watched the first episode, James, but I watched the second episode. And this is an anthology series, so each episode is self-contained. You could probably watch them out of order, but you don't need to do that. But, yeah, they're individual stories. And the second episode is Miranda Otto and Richard Ruxborough as a couple that return to their dairy farm that has just been burnt down by a fire. And I don't want to give any more plot spoilers, but it's just so heart-wrenching as, you know, they, they see all the dead animals on their property and that's just the start of it. And I would go so far as to say that the acting in this from Richard Roxburgh and Miranda Otto might be right up there as the best thing they've ever done. By the end of the episode, you, you just can't believe uh, what you're seeing and it's, you know, it's really hard to watch but, yeah, it's, you know... You know, we see that we see the news reports. They come in after the fires and they show the people, and then they just leave, and you don't see what happens next. But my God, the the cleanup alone is just so devastating for these families. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the other cast: Sam Worthington, who we we don't get to see him working here very much these days, do we? No. I mean, he's made be making those. Avatar sequels, yeah. which uh, James Cameron will be releasing uh, at some point soon, you know, coronavirus willing. Um, but, yeah, we, we haven't seen him in an Australian TV drama since, oh God, for, since before he probably made Somersault. You know, it's been a long time. Was he in the, was he in the Anzac thing? Um, was he? I can't remember. Yeah, I think he's done, he did something for Foxtel here. Did he? What, Deadline sure. Gallipoli? That was yeah, the Yeah, was it that? Was it Deadline Gallipoli? Got a feeling he's done something for Foxtel. I'm pretty sure, right. and he might have even been a had a co-production credit on that too. Mm. Um, but yeah, we we should check that. Uh, Anna Torv is also in it, um, yep. which which is great. Great to see her working here again too. We should mention that Tony has created the series with um, Belinda Chaco, and he said one of the things she wanted to do was have a bit of a theme running through it, and that's the. You know, the, the, the cast members you mentioned we see in that first episode, um, Eliza Scanlon and Hunter Page Lockhart do crop up in other episodes, yeah? Yes, they do. Sometimes it's very subtle. I won't give away how they appear in episode two, but uh, it's, it's it's pretty subtle and, and, and it's just going to be there. I'm sure they're going to come back as uh, fully-fledged characters at some point. It's just a nice little uh, device to keep you understanding the uh, chronological chronological order of it. Um, I mean, I shouldn't have said that before. You could watch this out of order. You shouldn't watch it out of order. But I was just meaning a standalone uh, and sure. each, one, each story is very, very different. And I also get the feeling, too, to that wherever possible, they're trying to avoid uh, the really traumatic scenes of a bushfire coming towards you and looking for more stories around the fire and and I get the impression that in future episodes the fire will be one of those sort of unseen monsters that's sort of lurking uh, and, and, you know, they're trying really hard not to turn it into disaster porn. Yeah. Um, t- 
Tony Ayres told us, look, I, I didn't want to tell just the firefighter story or we didn't want to tell just the firefighter's story was, story was his quote. It was important for us to feature a range of experiences that people have and not just the firefighters but the, 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 the ordinary people, if you like, whose lives were impacted um, yes. by, by those bushfires. Now, you mentioned before too we asked him about the special effects and that's pretty extraordinary. He goes into sort of a bit of detail there. It's from a, a studio in Melbourne called, um, oh, I knew I'd, left, <laughs> I'd lose the name, Dream Catcher, is that so? Dream Screen Australia, that's them. Wow. Um, founded by Clayton Jacobson, who, of course, was the um, director behind Kenny, right. um, brother, I think, of Shane Jacobson. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, but it's really interesting, the, um, the detail he gives us about that. So that's uh, Fires. That's up on ABC on Sunday nights. You can also catch it on iView. Oh, just one point. Are you, are you trying to tell me now that the success of a Portaloo movies <laughs> has led to this incredible studio now with special effects? Well done to the Jacobson brothers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, they're, and they're, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I haven't looked too much into it, but I think it's really great, groundbreaking uh, technology they've sort of They've organised, and Tony explains a little bit about how they do some of the scenes. I won't spoil that, but you can hear that on the other Media Week podcast. Uh, another Australian production coming from the ABC is the slotting into their Wednesday night comedy, um, I think at 9pm is the time slot. It's the second season of Frayed. Frayed as in F-R-A-Y-E-D. <laughs> A lot of people need that spelled out to them. So the first series of this was, you know, it's a British-Australian uh, co-production. Um, Sarah Kendall plays this Australian woman that's been living in London. She's got two teenage kids. She's completely up herself. It's the 80s. And then uh, her husband dies and she has to come back to Australia with her tail between her legs. And her mother is played by... Kerry Armstrong and her brother by Ben Mingay. And it's a great show. It's really funny, very dark, very black, and uh, I'm absolutely thrilled it's back for a second series. And, yes, her hair is still ridiculously huge, this 80s style she has in it, and I believe it's not a wig. I believe it's her own hair. So if you're ever interviewing Sarah Kendall, don't say, that's a great wig that you wear in that show because I don't think it is. <laughs> Um, made by a company called Merman Television, as you said, it's a co-production. They were they also made um, Catastrophe, wow, uh, that uh, comedy with uh, Sharon Horgan and uh, Rob Delaney. So they've got it's got great credentials that uh, production company. Yeah, I can see that that sort of edgy comedy that they do, where you know it, it all looks lovely on the surface, but there's you know darker currents always going through it. Sure, absolutely. Um, Let's get on to one of my favourite subjects, uh, Shiran Jones. Um, currently, we've we talked about um, Vigil, I think, in our previous podcast, uh, drama set on a submarine. Uh, they're up to, I mean, as we record this, episode six will be about to drop, which is the final episode. I think it's just a six-parter. But, gee, I've, I've just got to recommend this one again. It's um, just fantastic. Episode five left. I mean, it's from the people who make uh, Line of Duty. So, and one of the trademarks of Line of Duty is some of the cliffhangers they leave you with. You know, you've got to, that's why it's such a good series to binge, as yeah. is this one, although it's not been released like that. But once they're all up there, it's good knowing you can go straight into the other episode. 
because when the credits for episode five came up, I was literally on the edge of my seat going, <laughs> Lordy, Lordy. It was just, it was, it wasn't horror, but it was frightening to watch. It was a, it was, which is something very clever to do, I think, in a, um, in a TV drama. It's not, it's not shocking and it doesn't scare you, but it just, it um, just makes you wonder and, and you really want to watch that final episode. I, I love nothing more than a good cliffhanger. Some of my favourite <laughs> moments in life have been me waiting to find out what happens next. And I also uh, came across a, an interview with uh, Saran Jones where she talked about how she was very definite she wanted to do her own stunts in this. So it's set in a submarine and, gee, they did a good job. You would believe it was a real submarine. It's just so authentic, but apparently it's a set they built in Glasgow, so it's set up in Scotland, a lot of Scottish actors. And I'm not sure if we mentioned this tip um, last time we spoke to, but I, I discovered you turn on your subtitles and it's a hell of a lot easier to follow this series wow. because between the sort of background noise on the sub and the sort of thick Scottish accent of a lot of the cast, it's very easy to miss sort of plot um, directions and answers to questions. And, and I just found I was getting so much more uh, turning the subtitles on. And somebody told me, I've been telling a few people, it's said it's a generational thing. And I know I've, my son, he, obviously a lot younger than me, he watches all his drama with the subtitles on, wow. no, matter, no matter what it is. And someone else told me a lot of younger people just do that. Wow. Well, that's interesting because one of the reasons that you can't hear dialogue in these shows is, is you know, sometimes, of course, there's an accent issue, but there's so much sound production. You know, there's special effects laid in on the sound mix and there's music. And, you know, you watch um, shows from the olden days and <laughs> you can't even hear that. They don't even put that that track of the bird tweeting in the sound out, uh, with the window outside. But now all of those effects are put into it. And some Sometimes that drowns out the uh, actual dialogue and this has been going on for a while and, and particularly older people have a lot of trouble picking up the voices with all of that sound production around it. So isn't that interesting that the young kids are watching everything with subtitles? See, I don't like the subtitles because I find I'm reading the subtitles all the time even when I don't need to. Yeah, no, I'm with you. because I do. Yeah, I just love looking at the screen and just just taking in everything that they've, they've put on the screen, letting that sort of wash over you. But but where it's sort of necessary, I'm very happy for them to be there um, so you can sort of, you know, get really intricately into the plot and yeah. have it all explained uh, properly. Um, interesting too, I'm reading a little bit about Saran Jones. She's had life experiences which she's really drawn on, drawn on for a lot of her um, roles. She often plays a character on the edge, you know. She's very sort of uh, has anxiety, um, suffering maybe a bit of depression, nerves, and she spoke frankly about she's had that in her life and she actually had a breakdown, I think, about 2018. She's often been on medication and she spoke about that. And her characters, you think of uh, Dr Foster, um, you think of... Um, Gentleman Jack even had a bit of an edginess to her character in that, I thought. And she was she she played a, a quite uh, on the edge character in Coronation Street too, where she you know she was very bolshy in that and very prone to uh, you know going hysterical if uh, she didn't get her way. Sure, yeah, yeah, and that's a great segue into I Am Victoria, 
it's a, just a, a one-off role that uh, Saran Jones has, and she plays a mother trying to do it all who just who just falls apart, you know, trying to sort of do what she thinks is expected of her, maybe by her husband, by her kids, by her job. Um, it's just it's an amazing. It's just about a forty-five minute drama. It's a series of. Um, they're, they're, they're all, I think there's six. There were three in 2019. There's been another three released this year. I think they're all on Foxtel and it's I Am. Um, Saran's one is called I Am Victoria. I um, can't remember what the others are called, but, but they're all um, a different actress playing the lead character in each one. In the other ones, there's Kate Fleming's in one of them. Um, no, so it's Vicky McClure who plays Kate Fleming in I Am in um, Line of Duty. Uh, Samantha Morton's in another one that people might remember from The Walking Dead and Harlots. And Letitia Wright is in another one who's, um, who was in Humans and uh, was in Black Panther 1, will be in Black Panther 2. So they're definitely worth checking out. But this, well, I was just I was just stunned watching this I Am Victoria episode, and I'm sure you will be. I love to... Love to chat to you next time if you have time to, to catch up on that. Yeah, I'll it's have just, to watch uh, that. It's yep. a stunning performance. The other thing that's going on with Saran Jones is she's picking up quite the lesbian following now, <laughs> you know, because after Gentleman Jack, you know, now she's making Vigil and that character's a lesbian too. I'm telling you, the girls are loving it. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, um, she's a bit torn between her sexuality, isn't she, on um, Vigil? She's not quite sure um, which way to go, I think. It's, um, that's a subplot explored on the show. And, I, and I'll just mention it again quickly. Remember I told you, I, last time I was in the UK, I think I went to the Gentleman Jack house up in uh, Yorkshire. So that was um, how much I was into that series. But they're still making the second season. It's been impacted by our COVID, but it will be coming. So that's something to watch out for. Let's just go into reality for a little minute. Yeah. I talked to you briefly about SAS uh, Australia and The Masked Singer. Are you keeping up with either of them? Look, I watched the first night of SAS Australia. Um, you know, I always like to see a kind of a celebrity reality show. But, oh, gee, it's like at the end of it, though, my God, you're exhausted. You know, <laughs> it's like... The, the idea of me going on any sort of army camp like that would be my idea of hell. And there's only, I, so I guess there's only so much enjoyment I can get out of watching that on TV. Um, and, and I find it quite confronting to see grown men with their face one centimetre away from a woman screaming abuse in their face. You know, it's like, oh, even though I understand the concept of the show that the the women have signed up to it, it's still very confronting. And I thought that there was a very really interesting article in news.com where someone took real offence to it and said, you know, then to watch the host of the show, Ant Middleton, almost feel a bit sorry for Sam Burgess and, you know, the, the issues he'd gone through. And then, you know, they found that really kind of uh, tough to watch too. So, you know, I certainly can't watch every minute of it. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting show, but I find that I can never watch it more than a couple of nights. Yeah, no, I find it, I just find it, yeah, that aggression in it, it just sort of, um, I find it very uncomfortable to watch. I just, I, I mean, I guess that's the point of the show in a way, isn't it? But it's just, it seems unnecessary to, isn't there other ways to motivate people to, 
to do things other than that sort of, you know, really full on. As you say, in your face, it's just yeah. really uncomfortable. But, uh, I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, the, the people out of it so far was Bryn Edelston, I think, who lasted about six hours. So she went out in the first episode. Erin Holland's gone. Uh, Manu has gone. Emma Hassar has gone. Pete Murray, the um, performer, has gone. I think he dislocated an elbow in a in a fight with uh, Mark Philippousos. Alicia Mollick has gone. Kerry Pothurst has gone. And I think the most recent person to go was singer Bonnie Anderson. She did an amazing job, Bonnie Anderson. Wow, for someone, you know, you, you know, you, you could look at that in advance and go, oh, well, clearly the Olympians will last a lot longer than the girl from the X Factor and Neighbours. <laughs> but, you know, some people surprise you, James, and Bonnie Anderson certainly did incredibly well on SAS Australia. She's one of those people I think should be a much bigger star, uh, Bonnie yeah. Anderson. She, her voice is just, well. Oh, amazing. Something special. And just, yeah. I mean, the people who made it all the way last year were Merrick Watts, Sabrina Frederick and Nick Cummins. So it was it was good to see a woman in that uh, final three because you'd, you'd normally think, oh, well, look, blokes, and a lot of women are already out this year, so yeah. you might think, look, it's only going to be men. But, no, it wasn't last year, so it was... Um, that was a, a good element of it. Um, and quickly, The Masked Singer. Yeah, I haven't seen much of it. I've seen bits and pieces. I try and turn on at the end of the episode to watch the reveal. Um, yeah, do you, do you know why I'm not watching it, James? There's a reason what? why I'm not watching it. Oh, I'm freaking hooked on the block, aren't I? <laughs> I only watched it to get it to, to see a few bathroom designs and yeah. all Sudden, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm watching it all the time. It's mm. my new reality show. I don't know how it happened. Yeah, I mean, I've said before, it's it's too much TV for me to cut up with every episode. But I I make sure I always watch those reveals on yeah. Sunday nights. Great to see the rooms a little bit, and they give you a good snapshot of the drama that went into the preceding week. So that's a good cheat sheet for me to to stay up to date. But um, yeah, no, it's um, be fascinating to see how these houses end up, and of course. What, how much money they actually bring it um, when they go to auction and what sort of auctions they're allowed to have this year, you know. Yeah, um, it's interesting. It's interesting watching them design houses like this from the scratch because all of them seem to have really, really high ceilings now, James. Oh, I know. It's crazy to me, like, when, especially in Melbourne when you've got to pay for heating. They've all got these soaring ceilings with skylights. They look fantastic, but you just think, what's your heating bill going to be like? I know. Well, the, the Skylight Company certainly get any plenty of publicity, aren't they? Because their names passed oh, yeah. over every yeah. every Skylight, so they get a good good exposure every episode. And just quickly, and on the thing that interests me about the Mars Singer is the people they managed to convince to come on, to seeing to get dressed up in a character and perform. I mean, some so we've had what five? I think have been exposed so far. Then Vinnie Jones surprised me. I mean, he he would be one of the last people you would think would crop up here. Presumably he was in Australia doing something else, and this yeah. is a bit of extra cash for him. I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, George Calambaris making a return to TV after he sort of, you know, was was dropped as a judge of uh, MasterChef. Yeah. Shamed a little bit, I guess, by the sort of um, controversy surrounding um, salaries paid to his staff at yeah. some of his restaurants. Um, not paid to his staff. <laughs> sorry? Yeah. Not yeah. Paid to his staff. <laughs> Yeah. Um, ben Lee, 
who I yeah. think is just today, I read, so he's just signed a new recording contract. So then that's that's helped give him a little bit of publicity as well as he's about to. Um, Great to see Ben Lee there, having a good time. I love it. Yep, yep. Uh, Lottie Takiri um, yeah. showed up. And the most recent one, possibly one of the best singers they're going to have in this um, series, Mahalia Barnes. Yeah, yeah. People don't realise or they forget that she's got an amazing voice, right? And, yeah, uh, yeah she proved it on the show for sure. For sure. All right. Um, while we're staying, let's start a look at uh, documentary space, if you like. Um, you've been watching some of the Foxtel documentaries? Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to have a look at what's on there now because uh, Foxtel Arts Channel's been shut down, replaced by Fox Docos. First one I went to. I am Paul Walker, which is this beautiful, almost like home videos um, with that his family, this, his family's made the doco, his mum, his dad, his brothers talking about what sort of a kid he was. And, you know, everyone in the family is in agreement that he was just the loveliest guy. And, you know, I interviewed him twice. For the, the first two Fast and Furious movies, he came to Channel V when we were on the wharf at Piermont and both times they brought a race car <laughs> and both times, you know, we did the interview with the race car and both times he said to me, do you want to go for a ride? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was sitting with Paul Walker in this car and he'd rev the car, you know, and he'd be revving it as fast as he could. He'd be holding the handbrake in the air and he'd just look at me and go, are you ready? <laughs> and I'd go, yeah. And he'd just drop the handbrake and we'd go Meow, down the wharf at Foxtel. Man, I'll never forget it. What a great guy. It was so awful when he died. And I think this doco has really captured um, the fact that he was this great guy and just, you know, lived for fast cars and speed, but was a really, had a really good heart and a really good soul too. He was a good guy. Yeah, wow, what a good story. That's um, it's amazing. You're, um, you're meeting him twice and doing the interviews. Two times for the first film and for the second one, Too Fast, Too Furious. In fact, they're doing it again. It's like, oh, didn't we do this last time? It's like, I don't care. Let's do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Now, um, sort of you've also, something you did for Media Week this week, you had a bit of a chat to Johnny Young. Yeah. Uh, Ten, of course, have got a special um, YTT, is it Unmasked? Correct. Young Talent Time Unmasked. Yeah. Um, and it was a fascinating interview with some of the stuff he came up with. Um, so just just talk to us a little bit about that. Well, he was. I was, I was really keen to know because I always knew that he'd been a bit of a rock star before YTT, and I so I wanted to find out. You know, did he get you know did he get rubbished by his mates, his rock and roll mates, when he went from what he did to what he started doing? And he said, "Yeah, yeah, they did say, oh, come on, youngie, you just wrote the real <laughs> thing. What, what are you doing making this show?" But in asking those questions, you know, it, it just kind of revealed all this other stuff. I didn't realise. I knew that he'd done the step back that track in the '60s because I'd found that on a compilation album, and it's a great track. What I didn't realise till talking to him was that he was such an amazing songwriter and I didn't realise he'd gone to London, lived with Barry Gibb and Barry Gibb had taught him songwriting and he said, you know, that uh, Barry Gibb had said to him, there are no rules in songwriting and apparently that just uh, was the key for Johnny Young to be able to write anything. And I also didn't realise that he wrote a lot of original music for Young Talent Time. If he didn't have the right song to open the show with, if he had a theme, he just went off and wrote one. Like, wow, I had no idea. 
Also, as a TV historian, I was shocked to learn that Young Talent Time went out live in the, in the first days. They did a dress rehearsal at five o'clock, had a little break, and then put the show live to air at 6.30 at night in 1971. Kids, amazing. And that also it was competing up against the football, but I mean competing up against what was then the VFL on three channels at the same time. There was no live football. They were all replays. So you'd have a replay on seven, a replay on nine, a replay on two, and there was Channel 10 showing young talent time as the alternative. Just incredible. I learned so much talking to Johnny Young and I can't wait to see the show on uh, Sunday night. Yeah, look, I'd recommend people... um Go to mediaweek.com.au, just uh, throw in Johnny Young or YTT and that story will come up. And he, he told you some great stuff about the rights to his, the clips from the shows too, about, you asked him about YouTube and he has got a different attitude to the people watching on YouTube as to what he might charge some other people for getting access. Yeah, he's, he, he, does, he's not, he doesn't have an issue with all the clips that are on YouTube. He's quite happy for all the fans to share it. He's not going to go angry at them and pull them down and try and pull them off into his own site. Um, it's really interesting because I, I kind of likened him to Mike Walsh and Daryl Summers because all of them were guys who made really successful shows, but they all did them with their own production companies. And so when they left, they held on to the rights um, and so I was sort of laughing with him going, well, you know, you're smart. You, you make a lot of money. And he said, look, I can charge the BBC a lot of money when they want a clip of Danny Minogue in Young Talent Time. And, you know, that clip with her singing sisters are doing it for themselves with Kylie Minogue is one that gets used all the time. He said, but look, he said, I'm not as rich as Mike Walsh and Daryl Summers because back in the day, you know, he poured as much money as he could into that production as he could. He didn't do that to line his own pockets. And he talked about how he, you know, redesigned the sets that he thought that sharp corners weren't good on TV. And we, and he said, I only ever had round sets on Young Talent Time. And when he said that, I'm sure you can do it too, James. If you think about Young Talent Time, you can see Tina, Marie, Tina Arena standing on a circular stage and other circular things around around it. it. He did have a lot of uh, circular sets there. So it was just fascinating learning uh, about it. And, and the fact that it was, he talked about the fact that the crew loved working on that show and that some of those crews still work at Channel 10 to this day, but they say to him, oh, the best show we ever worked was Young Talent Time. And you can imagine it would be to have, you know, that kind of song and dance and that kind of family feel about it. It, it, it must have been a great place to work at. Yeah, I mean, it went lasted. I mean, they did live shows too, and they had the dance um, studios. I think where that taught people to to dance, and they they toured live for a long time. I just quickly, I remember, yeah. I got to go to Perth as part of a young town to do a story in a former life. Um, so it was young talent time on the road. They were playing the Perth Entertainment Centre. I can remember lots of screaming. Special guest on the tour was Craig McLaughlin. <laughs> and he was literally mobbed, I remember, afterward trying to get onto the bus. It was just out of control, just kids everywhere. And I'll never forget, he, he wore, like, shredded jeans on stage was his stage costume. <laughs> they were sort of hanging together by a thread. Of course, Danny Minogue was on the tour. I think her mum was with her. Um, and, of course, remember, Danny was a much bigger star than Kylie before Kylie came on the scene, you know. So it was 
It was um, fascinating. Well, you know, there's um, there's what well, the last time they did this was back in 2003. They did a special Young Talent Time the collection. Uh, uh, John Bowles, one of the cast members, did it, um, and then they released it as a DVD. And one of the stories that they told then, which I've never forgotten, is that they were doing one of those live concerts at Luna Park in Melbourne, and the crowds were so out of control <laughs> they couldn't get the YTT team out. So they shut down the roller coaster and said, here you go, and they were making all the kids walk through the tunnel of the roller coaster and they heard the roller coaster coming and all the kids jumped <laughs> off the track and hit against the wall as it came through. And they, and I just remember thinking, oh, my God, how traumatised would a generation of us Australian kids be if the entire team had been killed by a train at Luna Park? It was this horrific um, accident that was averted, you know, it just made you think, wow, just those crazy days where you'd go, oh, you just send the kids onto the, the roller coaster track. You know, we'll just send them out that way. They'll be right, mate. They'll be right. Uh, you mentioned Johnny Young um, living and learning off um, Barry Gibb in London. And of course, there's that great Bee Gees doco out, isn't there? If, 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 if anybody hasn't seen that yet, you've got to track that down. And it's just, if nothing else, it's a reminder of, how many great songs these guys actually had. It's just staggering. It actually, I actually started to cry during it at one point. It's just every new song that they kind of revealed, it was just like, oh, my God, that's right, they wrote this too. I found it really uh, moving at one point. And it's on Amazon Prime and I think it's somewhere else too. I don't think it's just on Amazon Prime. I could be wrong, but that BG's documentary is superb. I agree. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's just amazing. So you've you've definitely got to track down that one. Um, I'll mention. Oh, let's talk about days of our lives. Um, yes. Now you've you've in your new media week column um, <laughs> out this week. You've you've shared some of the plot lines, and it it sounds a bit crazy, Andrew. I've got to say. Well, yeah, Days of Our Life started in 1960. Uh, the first super couple on the show were Doug and Julie, played by Bill Hayes and Susan Searforth Hayes. They came out to Australia for the Logies in the 70s. They were on the cover of Time magazine. They're still in the show, Doug and Julie. And for the last few weeks, Doug appears to have been suffering some form of dementia and everyone's really upset. He's forgetting things. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they go, oh, well, let's take Doug to Dr Marlena Evans. She's the psychiatrist in town. Maybe she'll have a go. Now, 25 years ago, Marlena was possessed by the devil in what is arguably the most outrageous story in the history of Days of Our Lives. It went for about six months. It turned out that uh, her great love, John Black, when he, he'd had amnesia, it turned out he used to be a priest. So he ended up being the exorcist and they ripped off everything from the exorcist, the levitating, the spinning <laughs> head, the green bowl vomit. They did it all. And anyway, we're back there. It turns out that the devil is back. The devil was in Doug. And when he revealed himself, he got the demon voice and said, Marlena, it's been 25 years. I've been waiting to get back into you. And so now, of course, the devil has gone back into Marlena and where we go to, I can tell you, anybody who watched 
days of our lives 25 years ago when they watched this story. I reckon they'll go back to it and watch it again. I've told a few people, I was tweeting about it the other day going, you know, if you're in Melbourne, particularly if you're in Melbourne with earthquakes and Nazis at the Shrine of Remembrance and all this, you need some light relief. For God's sake, days of our lives on Fox 1, every day at 12 midday, or I think it's on Binge as well, get into it. Yeah, and it sounds like to me like they're very conscious of they're also they they generate new characters and cast members for newer viewers, but they yeah. also have gold in there now and then for the people who are long time viewers. Is that sort of right? Yeah, exactly. And you know they've they've been bringing it in over the last few days. They've had you know um, Marlena's grandchildren have been saying, oh, you know, there's this. Someone's talking about the fact. Did did grandma ever get possessed by a devil? This just sounds too ridiculous. <laughs> and so they've been doing all of this to to pave the way to bring it back and bring everybody up to speed. They've done it pretty well, pretty well so far. I'll just uh, have a quick rave about Billions. It's a show I've been um, a massive fan of all, all through. I mean, see, it's amazing. We're already at the, the end of it forever nearly. But I think as we record this today, there's two episodes left um, before it all wraps up. That's the, going to be the end of what will be season five. Um, Paul Giamatti, Damian Lewis, the two amazingly characters. Uh, Paul Giamatti's a US attorney, Chuck Rhodes, Yep. Da- Damien Lewis is a 9-11 survivor who's a sort of fund manager, sort of um, operating on the edge, if you like. <laughs> Some people would say he's well over the edge, but um, called Axe. And those two have basically been sort of plotting against each other all the way through these five seasons, sometimes against each other. Briefly, they've been on the same side as well, but it's been sort of that's there's so many plots and subplots on that. But it's just this this new season is just just brilliant. As a bit of a prep, I watched the I thought I was watching the last few of season four, but I got my episodes mixed up and I ended up watching the whole of season four again, which was fine by me because I, I just love there's, there's so much happening in those shows. You just get refreshed to watch them again and you pick up things you mightn't have seen the first time around. But at, with two episodes left, you just don't know how this is going to end up. I mean... Is Billions your favourite show, do you think? Is this your favourite drama on right now, the the one that's kind of continuing? It probably is, but you you know what it's like when you're in a drama that you're obsessed with, it's your favourite thing. Yeah. Two months later there might be something else, but I think Billions has been the most consistent deliverer of good times, I think, over over the journey. That's for sure. But look, so I mean, it's basically who's going to who's going to win, if you like. Will it be the attorney, um, the U.S. attorney Chuck Rhodes, or his nemesis Axe? And you're two episodes left. You don't know how it's going to go. I've got a feeling how it might end up, which will be yeah. a surprise. But so I don't want to sort of guess and a in case I'm wrong or b if I'm right, it'll be a massive spoiler. So there's there's plenty to um, look forward to in that. And let's sort of end today, if you like, on talk about um, the rafters. Bevan Lee, uh, something somebody you and I have both talked to a bit over the journey. He's had an amazing career in uh, Australian drama, um, creator, co-creator, um, overseen other people's creations as well along the way, best known probably for... Um, Always Greener, All Saints, um, the work he did on Sons and Daughters, and, of course, Packed to the Rafters. 
and or a place to call home. I would, of I would, course, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, place to call home too. Absolutely, place to call home could well be Bevan's greatest achievement. I think Always Greener was the show that was axed before they should have axed it. That was a great show that should have been allowed to go a little bit longer. And the other thing that Bevan Lee doesn't get credit for is that Bevan Lee is responsible for Home and Away being a success. He tore apart that original script and rewrote the whole thing um, to his line is that when he read the first script, the most interesting character in it was Sally's imaginary friend, Milko. <laughs> so he rewrote it. Um, so, yeah. But, look, it's, it's, it's a hard task coming back to part, Pack to the Rafters because even though it only finished on air eight years ago, GTV's changed a lot in eight years. I mean, when Rafters finished, we didn't think it was unusual to have a show about an all-white family and everybody was straight. And, you know, since then we've actually had this conversation about, hey, could could TV be a little bit more diverse? And, and Back to the Rafters has had to acknowledge that, you know, and they've got, Dave's now got uh, an Indigenous uh, tradie uh, apprentice and uh, Ben Rafter is married to uh, Aussie Vietnamese girls. So they have tried to do that and they have tried to, I guess, modernise the show in some way. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the fans like it. I know that the people I've spoke to, people who love Pack to the Rafters have probably already watched all six episodes, like, boom, it's, you know, it's there. And um, But it's interesting to think that, you know, once upon a time they were making 22 hours of Pack to the Rafters a year and we just watched it every week. That's the other thing that's changed in eight years. Back then we made 40 episodes of the show a year or 22 and now it's like, oh, six episodes. Let me just check my calendar and see if I've got enough room for that. Things have really changed. Yeah, I think he said, we. I interviewed him recently, said, I think they, they did something like 40 episodes a season of All Saints at its peak, you know. I mean, it's just, they're stunning numbers. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, Back to the Rafters. He, I, I watched the first, I've only seen the first episode so far of Back to the Rafters. I definitely got a bit of a always greener vibe in that <laughs> first episode, but it's. I don't think it's something that carries on too much through it. Um, and when I asked him about that, he said it probably was his, it was his, what was the word he used, um, like his, not edgiest, but wackiest series yeah. maybe, I think he said, yeah. always greener. And he also said he thought it ended before its time. It did. You know, it um, It did. Seven acts for My Kitchen Rules. It was rating. It was do doing really well. But it was back then when people were going, reality's the thing. We don't need, Seven didn't need the drama. They had all these other dramas. So they got rid of always greeners. And, you know, it was actually, they didn't axed it for My Kitchen Rules, actually. They axed it for My Restaurant Rules. Uh -huh. And the first My Restaurant Rules or whatever didn't really work. It took a while for that. Eventually it kicked in. But, yeah, it's such a shame that Always Greener went before it had a chance. You can watch it now on 7 Plus too for free. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things about Back to the Rafters is the relationship between Dave and Julie Rafter. Yeah. Something that's probably was underestimated and not discussed a lot over the years, but it's been quite fascinating and and um, Bevan talked about how it's the, the relationship between a couple, even in the few years since Back to the Rafters finished, has changed, you know. He said, look, Julie Rafter was always a strong character, but when push came to shove, she was probably happy to, to agree with Dave and, and go his way, you know, and, and do what he would have liked. But he said that that is very different in 
2021. Yeah, okay? yeah. And that's one of the central parts of this story is, you know, can a couple who are obviously in love, but can that survive them wanting to take different forks in the road? And he talked about how that was something he lived through. He said the love of his life, they split up because it, it just they wanted to do different things, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rafters does really hinge around Julie Rafter. It's, it's all the stuff going on with her character that everything, that the entire show revolves around what she's going through. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a fascinating, um, well, it's not the undercurrent, is it? It's really the senior thing. And you'd probably know this, but I found in, interesting what he talked about sons and daughters when he, um, during our interview with him, he said, look, he didn't create it. But he was he came he was brought in by I think Reg Watson and he worked with somebody he said was his uh, mentor Don Batty, mm-hmm. and you know and he, he said to Reg Watson at some stage look so what will happen to the, these characters and Reg Watson said to him well that's that's not my problem that's why you're here <laughs> and so he really took control of yeah. Sons and Daughters and, and guided that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame that the tone of rafters is different to always greener because in my, my was, imagination was running wild the other the other day. I was going, if only, you know, Dave and Julie Rafter had moved to Inverness, they could have moved in next door to Anne Tenney and John Howard and we could have combined the two shows and brought them both back. And see, Meredy Eastman, who plays Julie's friend in the city, the kind of the nutty one. She was in Always Greener. So we could have, you know, they could have been long lost twins. I had a great <laughs> time imagining bringing both of them back together. But yeah, it's, Amazon Prime's done a really nice job bringing back to the rafters back. Um, he also um, talked about um, Between Two Worlds. I didn't want to dwell on that because, you know, he said one of the first things he said, he was disappointed it didn't work, you know, and he said, but then he said he, he, said he still felt, felt very close to that, you know. It was, um, it was a program he loved, um, something I don't think it's fair to say you and I didn't really share that. We, we didn't think it was clearly wasn't one of his best works, I don't think, and the ratings indicated the audience pretty much felt that too. I loved it at the start and I loved the ambition of it. I loved that it was expensive and it looked expensive. Um, but, yeah, as it, as it got closer towards the end, yeah, there, there was something not quite working. And something else too we should reference too. Now, you wanted to chat a little bit about everybody's talking about Jamie. Yeah, great new movie now on Amazon Prime. It should have been released in cinemas, but it's gone straight to Amazon. It's uh, another drag queen musical. Uh, Everybody's talking about Jamie because he wants to go to his prom in drag. But the cast, James, Richard E. Grant is the old drag queen that helped him out. Oh, magnificent. And then Sarah Lancashire as his mother and Sharon Morgan from Catastrophe as his school teacher. And they all get a ballad to see us. It is great. Like, you know, not fantastic, um, but, you know, another great musical. Yeah, look, sounds like a lot of fun. And since we're talking about musicals, yes. the Tony Awards are going to be on 10 Peach next Monday morning at 10 a.m., which is a really uh, 9 a.m., I think. It used to be on Foxtel Arts. Now uh, I guess 10 have got it as part of the SBS deal. And I'll just mention a couple of other shows really quick. CBS. CBS, sorry. So the, the SBS documentaries on Sunday night, Julie Gillard Uncovered and Osher Gunsberg's uh, doco about depression, 
Both were fantastic. And also check out Mark Fennell's The School That Tried to End Racism, uh, which is now on iView. I loved it that the Daily Telegraph had a go and said, oh, you know, the, the critics said this was child abuse when it aired on Monday night and this was in the paper on Tuesday. And I was really <laughs> going, this doesn't air till tonight. How could you write a story like that and think that the ABC dropped four corners to screen this show? So crazy that... They, they, they got that attack in before the show had gone to air, but very revealing. But it was a good show. I watched it on Tuesday night. It was worth watching. All right, good stuff. Plenty of recommendations there. I'll just finish with um, Succession. I hope everyone's preparing for the new season of Succession. I'm doing that by re-watching hopefully all of um, the second season. So I, I want to be very fresh with I'm all the characters. I'm re-watching Succession. I'm trying to figure out have I got enough time. But I'm, I've also got the third series of Sex Education to watch on Netflix. Yeah, well, there's going on and Morning Wars quickly. Series oh, two, yes. Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. They're only releasing one episode at a time. I thought the first episode for series two wasn't great. I hope it improves when they get back into the studio. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I quite liked it. And there's a there's a very good catch up at the start too, which um, I probably should have watched the end of se- the first season again, at least the final episode, but I didn't. But there's a great catch up, which it's, which it's funny, you know, because I watched it last night and the Apple TV. My Apple TV said, "Here's the last episode of series one. Watch it again." I was like, "No, I don't have time." <laughs> then I was pushing the button so fast to skip out of it. I skipped the recap. They then said, "Well, uh, do you want to watch this recap?" But I was too trigger happy. <laughs> Just show it to me. <laughs> You know, I always watch the recaps. I love that, um, especially you know, I, I watch so many dramas and it's all these characters are spinning yeah. around in your head. It's, it's great to have as many refreshers as possible. Look, Andrew, always great to catch up with you. Um, thanks again for today and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, James.